This is the Chiefness Podcast. I'm Chief X. I'm Chief Meta. This is Chief Drea. So, on today's podcast, we'll be discover, uh, discussing slave contracts, then really want to use himself as a digital currency. Are we working ourselves to death? And what were the other topics? We are also going to talk about fake prophets and the black conscious community. Nice, nice, nice. So, for topic one, which was uh, Dinwiddie's uh, slave contract, um, this is don't get a twist. It's not just a Dinwiddie thing. Um, I don't want anybody to think that I'm just you know picking on people, but this is a case study. All right. So, I'm all for black athletes getting their bread. Get your get your money, black man. Get your money. But in this case with Spencer Dinwiddie, it sounds like he wants to be the first slave. Oops, <laughs> I meant NBA player to cut out all the middlemen so that they can get a bigger portion of money out of the contracts based on maximizing their potential through gameplay. Now, on the surface, one would say there's nothing wrong with this, but once you learn what this is all about, the main people to really capitalize on this would be mainly the same people that already own the plantations, the same white people that Din- that Mr. Dinwiddie is trying to get on board with this concept. Now, don't take it the wrong way. I'm not hating. But it sounds a lot like the modern-day plantation where now the slaves are putting a valuation on their bodies as a potential slavers. Oops, I mean investors could get a slice of the action. Now, what happens when a player's or a player doesn't make good on this concept? According to Dinwiddie, the investors would be able to make good in the future since the player would invest in traditional securities offered at advanced money from the $13.5 million contract money that he, he just recently signed on. So better illustrate where well, I'm going with this conversation, and I will later on quote $40 million mm-hmm. slaves, but for now, let's take a look at what Den, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was talking about. need to elaborate on that because the optics are very bad. It's, it's really, it's really bad. So here's how investing $150,000 in Spencer Dinwiddie would actually work. And this is according okay, to an article you, off of ESPN. Bad, could you say that two, again? Could you repeat that sentence? Oh, here's, here's how investing $150,000 in Spencer mm-hmm. Dinwiddie would actually work. Okay, let that sink in. At the end of the 2018 NBA offseason, Brooklyn Nets guard Spencer Dinwiddie was hanging out in Los Angeles with Jeremy Adams, a close friend from their days at the University of Colorado. The two played basketball at Boulder, and they shared enthusiasm for the world of blockchain technology and entrepreneurial pursuits. Dinwiddie had thoroughly enjoyed the process of developing his own shoe the previous year outside the sneaker industrial complex. He and Adams wondered what other opportunities existed out there. With the shoe, we started exploring ways to, t- to try to take control of the brand, Dinwiddie said. For years, Dinwiddie threw himself into the world of markets, both traditional sectors like financial services and newfangled corners of the ecosystem like cryptocurrency. These days, it's normal to walk into an NBA practice facility and find a hard copy of a pitch deck lying around the, lying around the locker room. But Dinwiddie isn't just into investing. He is a guy with a more holistic interest in how money works. How is value transferred in an economy? How do you make markets more inclusive? What's a cool way to bring liquidity to an an illiquid, unrealized sector? On that last question, Dinwiddie realized the next step in his entrepreneurial journey was to create a financial instrument that will allow him and other athletes to fully maximize their upside. Why not just be the investment vehicle allowing people who believe in that athlete to cash in when he makes good on his potential? Now, I'm moving forward now into the article because it's very long. So what exactly is his plan? 
So here's a few things. In the big picture, Dan Woody's token will be a proof of concept for a larger objective. He wants to create a new asset class, athletes that will allow fans and anyone else to invest in players the way you would the stock market, a treasury bond, a real estate fund, or cryptocurrency. Those assets could then be traded on a platform that he's in the process of creating. Most immediately, though, he wants to offer debt issuance to accredited investors that would be backed by his earnings in the 2021-22 season. This product, which will be issued as a token, paint, would have any of the characteristics of a typical bond, but it's quite different. Can anyone buy identity token? Nope. You must be deemed an accredited investor under Regulation D of the Securities Act. Now, I applaud them for that. You have to have uh, rules around this. You can't, everyone off the street just can't invest into something like this. It's very volatile and risky. Accredited investors must earn a hefty income and or have a high net worth, plus the requisite experience dealing with, with sophisticated financial offerings. The minimum investment in a Dinwiddie token is $150,000, and Dinwiddie is offering a maximum of 90 tokens for a purchase. That will represent $13.5 million, or around 40% of his three-year, $34 million contract with Brooklyn. Interesting, right? This just looks bad. But I'm accredited and just happen to have $150,000 to invest, so walk me through it. Whereas most investors purchase security through a broker, you will buy a digital token for $150,000, and it will live as a form of digital currency on a blockchain. Another way to look at it, you're loaning Dinwiddie $150,000 that he will promise to pay back in two years. Though the information is in public, Dinwiddie says the token likely will pay an annual interest rate in the range of 2.5%. That will mean that on that initial $150,000 investment, you would earn... Uh, $3,750 over the next year, paid either quarterly or biannually, and $3,750 in 2020 and 2021. Year three is when the token effectively matures and things get interesting for both Dinwiddie and you. Dinwiddie's performing his own personal revenue sharing of his individual post-tax 2021-2022 basketball-related income. Dinwiddie said this will be done at a 60-40 split, and that 40% we paid out to investors. Okay. Dinwiddie owns a player contract for 2021 season. Uh, there's a great deal of elasticity here. Let's say the 26-year-old guard continues his upward trajectory over the next two seasons and outside of his current deal with the Nets. If his new contract plus additional income pays him a total of $20 million in 2021 and 22, and his taxes and really expenses run 50% of his income, then you will receive your original principal of $150,000 back plus an additional $52,934. And the end you have earned 10.6% annually over the term and investment. Very interesting um, uh, model here in terms of what he's doing. Um, and that's why, you know, we're saying this is like almost like the modern day plantation. You're, you're selling legit, like human, like you're selling yourself as the currency. And it's the same thing that happened. We already built Wall Street with legit our bodies. That's how Wall Street got right. done. And that one hundred and fifty, that one hundred and fifty. Oh my bad, one hundred and fifty thousand dollar lockout sounds like only the owner planter class can engage in this activity, much like voting and participating and other forms of being an American. So if you want to buy this man, 
you have to already own some property and be engaged in the buying and selling of commodities, including this new human commodity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It does sound very familiar. So I'm going to go ahead and continue. Um, there was a, a quote by uh, $40 million slaves um, that I want to go ahead and, and actually go ahead and um, actually read off here. Give me a second. So the inevitable question will be asked, how can you use slavery and $40 million in the same breath? Even Bob Johnson, the owner of the Charlotte Bobcats, mind you, this book is a little dated. Obviously, they're no longer the Bobcats. And an African-American raised a question during an interview for this book. After I told Johnson to title my book, he said, I'm not sure or quite sure making $12 million a year playing 82 basketball games is called a plantation. If it is, I know a whole lot of folks who want to be on that plantation. Johnson added, I'm not sure the plantation of plantation metaphor works because you have to explain how a guy gets paid that much money for doing basically what people do in the street every day. Later, though, during the same interview, Johnson conceded that from an athlete's perspective, professional, professional sports might be a plantation of sorts. Do the players see themselves on a plantation? I think they do, and that all the owners are white. That creates the, the dynamic. The owners are white, the coaches work for the white owners, and the industry is run by white commissioners. Anyone who exercises power over them is white, and they feel or believe that the owners are taking more value out of them than what the owners are putting in. To the general public, athletes have achieved the promised land, and their salaries are always a part of the discussion. The inference never fall from the surface that they should be grateful, more grateful than their white peers for the money they make. David Falk, the sports attorney who helped make Michael Jordan to a global icon, recalled a negotiation session with the Knicks in 1991. After Falk and player Patrick Ewing made an offer, the general manager looked at Ewing and asked, how much money is enough? Falk said he knew that Ewing was offended and so was he. I knew that in Ewing's mind that wasn't an economic statement. It wasn't a negotiation statement. It was a racist statement saying, you are a young black man. How much is enough? The celebrity of African-American athletes is still used to make the case that discrimination has disappeared and that integration in the West has created equal opportunity. For many, African-American athletes embody the freedom and expanded opportunities that are there for everybody provided they work hard. The elevated compensation of some players obscures the reality of exploitation and contemporary colonization. Black athletes have become a significant presence in major team sports, but the sports establishment has tenaciously resisted that presence, percolating in equal numbers throughout the industry in positions of authority and control. In 1988, the late Jimmy the Greek Snyder created a fire zone when he said African-American athletes were physically superior because they had been bred for the role. Very interesting. Very, interesting, very right? Interesting, and especially thinking about how we were once uh, over 50% of the MLB, that's changed, and 60% of the NFL and around 80% of the NBA. Mm. So question, if we were to consider the, these sources of information as accurate, in what ways are athletes in bondage? In what ways does this limit their ability to use a platform to speak up and out for a community? See, that remains to be seen because any attempt to speak up and out for our community is curtailed and curated. Like in the case of Copernic, he had to consult with an outsider to protest his police brutality for his own people. And it was still rejected by the general population. 
and fan fan base outside of our group. So knowing that it may be a little difficult because there may be clauses in their contracts about what they can speak on and what they can't speak on. We we don't see the details of everything. This isn't publicized. People have been encouraged to engage in dress codes, change certain other behaviors, NFL and NBA security. I heard they're really stringent about certain things. So I don't know. I'm not a sports fan. This is just what I've gleaned. Okay. Okay. So now moving on topic two, which is something very interesting. I came across an article. Um, it was by Yahoo. It was titled Americans working at least 50 hours per week are feeling burnt out. And um, let me go ahead and pull this up real quick. Americans working long hours are, burn, are burning out. Their health is suffering and they're missing out on time with loved ones. And a cruel twist to extra time at work isn't alleviating their financial insecurities according to a new study from Sleep Junkie provided exclusively to Yahoo Finance. Three in five workers who log 50 to 59 hours per week reported feeling overworked. The survey found, while more than three quarters of those who work 60 hours or more said the same. The survey looked at 1,036 respondents who consistently work 40 hours or more a week, far higher than the national average of 34.4 hours worked per week, according to the most recent report from the, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. No family or me time. Time, namely not having enough of it, it is the heart of the issue for overworked Americans. This has placed American workers in a circular argument. Two-thirds report having to work longer hours to make ends meet, but doing so leaves little free time to spend with family or enjoy leisure. Seven in ten of those working 50-plus hour weeks supported dependents, and 92% said they worked long hours to do so, the survey found. Almost four in five said those hours cut to quality time with their children. The more hours Americans work, the less time they have for themselves, too. Only two in five working six hours or more said they had enough free time, and just half reported they had time for relaxation and recreation. Burning the midnight oil often causes physical and emotional exhaustion, too. The survey found four out of five of those who worked at least 50 hours a week said the pace was unsustainable. Worker stress also can lead to chronic absences at work and even workplace accidents. One in four people working more than 50 hours a week said they made a potentially hazardous mistake work because of stress or fatigue. The psychological and physical problems of burned-out employees also cost the U.S. economy to the tune of $300 billion a year, according to American Institute of Stress. But half of respondents in the sleep junkie survey who worked 50-plus hours uh, per week were unaware of the link between long hour, long work hours and the adverse effects on health and well-being. And this is the part I wanted to get, get down to, which was no financial benefits. All of it's important, but didn't matter how, how much they worked, there was no financial, financial benefit to it. Okay, and this ties into another um, interesting report that was done. And it was, it was, it's old, but it's called um, Umbrellas, Umbr- Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain. And it's by Sandy Derry, Derek, Derek Hamilton, and a few other people. And one of the things they said, and, and you got to understand, with that particular survey that they did, I wonder how many were actually foundational black Americans, because I'm pretty sure that many of us are, are logging 
you know, probably 50 plus hours a week, probably working two or three jobs. All right. Just to try to hit that number, just to maintain a roof over their head. So, um, but all that aside, um, this report by Sandy Darity, uh, goes into details to why, despite all the right choices for ADOS, financial black Americans, don't equal all the right outcomes. For many Americans, the Great Recession is acting as highly that working hard and playing by the rules is no guarantee of an economic success. Today, ordinary middle and working class families work long hours, often at multiple jobs, in a quest to provide for themselves and their families. But although the recession officially ended years ago, many Americans' lives are still fraught with economic instability and insecurity. Americans took a hit from the speculation-fueled crash of the Great Recession from 2005 to 2009. The typical white family saw 16% of their wealth taken. The hit was even more devastating for the typical black family, which had over half, 53% of their already relatively low wealth stripped away. Before the Great Recession, the typical black family had a little less than a dime for every dollar in wealth of the typical white family. After the recession, the barrier to wealth for the typical black family was made twice as high, with them having about a nickel for every dollar in wealth as a typical white family. And the economic recovery period between 2009 and 2011, the race-based impediments to wealth accumulation have only slightly improved. The typical black family now has about six cents for every dollar in wealth held by the typical white family. The 2011 racial wealth gap between 100 exceeds $100,000. The median black family has $7,113 in wealth. We know that number is actually a lot lower when you deduct the, the family car. While the median white family has 111000 in wealth. So blacks have virtually no wealth to draw upon in times of uh, financial crisis. So given the above, art both articles actually, but from, from Yahoo, it's clear that our socioeconomic conditions are killing us. And that if we don't have transform transformative politics right now or soon, we will pay as we've, as we've always paid in this control with our lives. The dangerous rhetoric of you got to grind and hustle hard, I'm of the opinion that we need to drop. Instead, let's push take care of yourself and community love. Listen, bills will always be there, but you have one life. If we're not taking care of our minds and bodies, we'll be no good in our relationships or to the community. Grinding it out won't help us collectively come out of our situation, and it's rarely ever an antidote to, to severe poverty. Bars. Okay. That's I mean, like, stuff. that's, and that's all you see. I don't know about in, in y'all tribe, individual tribes, but Envy. people I see on my time or, and just even family members are like, oh, I got to get the bag by any means. And they have chest pains or anxiety or whatever the case is. Oh, that's nothing. I could just brush it off. But it's like, no, you have to take care of yourself. Because my number one thing is your wealth is your health. You could be broke down. You could have all this money. But if you don't have the health, and I'm talking about mental health, holistic health, to spend it, or you don't, you're driving your family away, because you got to also think about, too, is when you become a workaholic, that's an addiction that we don't talk about neither. Just to try to keep up with, I don't know who, I guess doing it for the gram or whatever the case is. You have to take care of yourself. That's how I feel about it. That's true. A lot of people are obsessed with getting them hours and showing that they're getting them hours and workflow. And I get it. I understand you want to show that you're 
a productive member of society. We're under pressure to as North Americans. But as she said, there's another side to that powering through all those health problems. And, you know, a lot of us don't have any insurance or we're dealing with free clinics. So you might not even be at full health and, and nursing some type of terminal illness, but still working your way through that. And I've seen examples of that, like, oh, this person got cancer, but they still come into work. It's like, uh, nah, that's not living. That's that's being in a bad space and that's absolute desperation in disguise. We'll just try to sweeten it up with, you know, the, the work harder and we're resilient people and, you know, man or woman up. But that's at a great expense collectively. Right. So anyone want to introduce the next topic? Into it. <laughs> I I actually was like I wanted to talk about this for a while because especially this weekend because you know everyone was on this whole yes yay dropped the gospel album y'all <laughs> everyone lost their mind but to me I think I think it's a um a redemption album it reminds me of eight oh eight and heartbreak. And I wanted to get into this real quick, and I don't think many people know this. So Kanye, he he topped the list of Forbes this year as the highest paid hip hop act in 2019, breaking in $150 million. And it says it's estimated that he'll make $1.5 billion by the end of this year due to the Christian hip hop and Sunday service. And I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the whole Sunday service thing. So he's going to different churches. Well, let me rephrase that. Mega churches. And if you all know anything about mega churches, um, let's think of Creflo Dollar who has who was begging for a jet. And even though he already had a jet, so you know what type of person he's dealing with. He's not going to like your mom and pop service. So he's popping up at these mega services, remixing hip hop slash R and B songs and making them into Christian hip hop. So unfortunately a lot of times we know how our people are. You know, we get all emotional. We get sensational. Like, oh, my God, he done found Jesus, y'all. And so he got pumped up to make this whole Jesus is King. I listened to some of the tracks, and I was like, okay, what we got going on here? False conscious people, then I think when you go to the Sunday yeah. service, you have to buy merchandise yeah. from what I heard. <laughs> um so yeah, so it's going back to being a capitalist because um I have um one of my classmates actually he appeared at one of her churches and they had to buy merchandise before they even step foot into the Sunday service at her church. No taxes because you know um pass through money and then also too for those who are like what no taxes because churches don't pay taxes due to um I think it was um George Bush I think the son. Um, create a policy that faith-based organizations do not have to pay taxes. Go do your Googles on that. Big facts on that, guys. And then, so this is something I wanted to bring out. I know folks want to grab the bag by any means, but wasn't black people canceling Kanye due to his outlandish behavior and MAGA support, right? We was canceling him, but all of a sudden, he crossed over to Christian hip-hop 
and I said he's a false fake prophet. I guess everyone can grow, gloat, and get the bag by any means necessary. Also, Christianity is big business from the mega churches, pastors, and artists. So if you think about like Kurt Franklin, he makes about like eight point five million a year. Um, I don't know how much Lecrae make or all of these other artists, but when you see them, you see these artists transition over. You know they're in it for the money. Big facts. Um, and also too, let's see. I wanted to get into it. Y'all have anything else to say about Yay and the? Oh yeah, hold on. You about to laugh real fast. Guess who Kanye's favorite rapper is? Just guess who Kanye's favorite rapper is? It's somebody who made the same move but didn't make it successfully as successfully as he's making it right now. Well, maybe they did cuz I knew people that went to that man's church in Atlanta. Did I reveal the name? Yeah. That's Kanye's favorite Bass? rapper. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> did the mace move. What? Do 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 you all understand? like this is a straight up legit hustle right here, man. They they go into where the money is at. They know it's like this mad liquid it over is. there. We can go ahead and get that bag. All right, I got merch. Bet. All right, before y'all see me, y'all gonna come y'all need to oh, buy that merch real right. quick. You know? Get your t-shirts, get the water bottles. All right, now we're gonna rock out, have some service. All right, now put put the money in inside the offering plate too. Right. (laughs) The love off, the love offering, the love offering is coming around. So you know you gotta you gotta put some love in it. But let me let me make y'all laugh a little bit more. You know who else has the same business model? His man Hove. Hove did that with the NFL. So, you know, you have to really see a lot of trickery and, and fooleries going on. So you have to look at these business models like, mm, you know, after Hope was trying to quote unquote distance himself from yay, but you did the same business model because those quote unquote free concerts to solve social justice issues, you're pulling the same trickery on folks. Ooh, I, there's a term for that. It's mm. called radical chic. Yes, and I'm I'm here. I'm right here. Radical chic. Let's let's look at this. Radical chic is when an elite supports radical political movements and ideas because they are fashionable at a point in time. This may occur even if the political movement advocates overthrowing the elite. In this case, radical chic is a type of counter signaling whereby an elite demonstrates its strength by criticizing and advocating the dismantling of the very systems that support their status. Radical chic is motivated by a desire for social status and support may be actionless and fickle. Support. Don't. All right, now we can, we can go ahead and move on to the next topic. If, if you got, we have nothing else to say about it. If we, if we don't, I know I don't. I don't got nothing else to say because it's like legit. Matter of fact, well, yeah. real quick, real quick, real quick, just for, just for no. shits and giggles. <laughs> Somebody should have told me it would be like this. Be like this. All right, all right, all right, all right. 
you know where you can find that song. Yeah. I ain't trying to get a copyright infringement <laughs> on me. So, um, False Prophets by J. Cole. No. Might have he have been talking about Kanye in that song? Hmm, maybe. <laughs> he saw that move from a mile yeah, away. Exactly. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, yeah. He did. You know what's crazy? He was a true prophet in that moment. But dumb tish to Kanye. This is a joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So let's. But you see how you see. everybody. It's all good now, though. Right. So let's let's go to the black consciousness because I, I'm having a big issue with them too. So. I said, from the designated artists such as Erica Badu, Jill Scott, and more Yoni Magic to Sex Magic, these are all ploys to get your money, interest, and more foolery. So this is pretty much talking about getting the bag. People usually compare Beyonce, Cardi B as more wholesome women because they're married with children while Jill Scott on stage imitating fellatio movement, singing, and scatting sweet consciousness melodies. We have E. Badu with three baby daddies shooting a naked video with her sister in the bathtub with pseudo blood and showing her unmentionables in the window seat video. We have Dr. Umar Johnson setting out the conscious stripper and asking people can he live. If you want to be a big old freak, don't hide behind the head wraps, orators, conscious butt words, and frankincense incense. Black consciousness is big business as well. You have many people selling their courses and materials such as Joni Eggs, Pearls, Shea Butter, and Cryptocurrency. So it's a cryptocurrency going on called Guap Coin, and they're selling it like $50 per coin, and we'll get into that. Many black conscious community members tell us as if you do for self, so it's going back to overworking, that they can over overachieve and achieve all what the government is supposed to give us in reparations. Many ADOS who are in a black conscious community, they do have pan Africanist mindset. And also, a black conscious YouTube channel I used to frequently watch, no promo. This brother's ADOS, he says that he don't want to fight for reparations, but when the check is being cut, he want his check. No. Nah, bruh. It don't work that way. That's just my tidbit on the on my folks out here. Not 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 saying all y'all, cause some of y'all y'all be advocating. I hear ADOS has become the buzzword for a lot of um, your YouTube videos. So shout out to y'all that's actually doing the work. But this whole cryptocurrency, pull yourself by the bootstrap. Yeah. Just call it what it is. You want to do for self? If you want to do for self, y'all can go over there. But why should we do the work? And you think you're going to come, when the check come, and be like, yeah, um, you should get a, a piece of the pie. So that's my tip. Oh, yeah, yeah. They trying to, they, they doing all that, and they throwing in a hashtag, ADOS, and, you know, you click on the video, or you listen to the to the podcast, and they're talking about doing for self. Not wrong, like, I get it. We all we all gotta we, we gotta survive. We gotta make a little bread out here in this world. We get it, right? But the mentality of okay, you you're trying to now crowbar your way into something because it's like it's because it's hot right now, right? So for marketing for the optics, right? I got, I'm on the surface. I'm in Paris, so I'm in solidarity with y'all. But really, once you click on this video, I'm selling you a product. 
you know, what, what are your intentions? If you're not trying to really put in the work for this movement, then yeah, I do agree with you, Chief Dredd. Some of those individuals probably do need to sit down. If you really are trying to be about this work and actually helping people to organize and you're trying to advocate and really get some changes moving and you're not trying to do Project Takeover, then go over, so, go over there somewhere, man. Be on the sidelines. Don't, don't come over here. We got people out here actually trying to advocate and actually do for other people and do for generations to come. Right. They're not of that individualistic mindset. Now, as far as the um, this you know this this fake black consciousness, then um, they selling yoni eggs and you know um, I see this all the time, especially on the ground. Like back in the day, it was it was rare to see someone um, doing what's known as sensual yoga. Now it's like everyone's got a damn yoga page and he's conscious and he's wearing a head wraps and he got the incense in the background and candles and it's just it's getting out of hand. I'm I, listen. I'm not saying that people can't be sexual. But now they're starting to promote whole culture. Right. Nothing wrong. Like I get it. We sexual beings, but damn. Like <laughs> um, now, now the consciousness has become intertwined with that. That whole mentality of whole cultureness. Whole, I said whole cultureness. <laughs> whole, whole culture. Whole culture. All right. I can't talk today. <laughs> but other than that, like. I'm gonna let let y'all go ahead and get it in. And that's all I have to say about you know the whole black consciousness, and we can move on to the next topic. All righty, here we go. I want to talk about the qwerty algorithm slash the pattern or the LGBT slash black rad film mainstream urban activists targeting black men at certain times using false info, obfuscation, appeals to authority, and other social engineering tools. Like uh, we were speaking about the black masculinity thing before, I noticed that in between events, whether it's a black man being shot by the police or somebody may be doing good, something always hops up in the news about, you know, somebody from that alternative community having some type of issue or our masculinity needing to be adjusted. The conversation always slides over there. Not always, it's just at certain times during the timing, like when we're already active and focused on something that force and energy seems to insert itself into the conversation and uh, there's an example that I want to bring up because I'm always in the wild in the digital wild as I'm going to start calling it you know having these conversations and semi trolling uh chief x do you have any of those screenshots I have a couple of the screen I have I may have one this no promo i have two screenshots i don't how many do you you have quite a few don't oh you may have one okay let's see you're gonna send them to my inbox all righty bet yeah this is another example of wild behavior we're gonna do this maybe every episode just to establish what i call the pattern hashtag the pattern 
You can see what I mean. It's a wild situation. I'm back, and um, yeah, I, I have quite a, f- a few of these screenshots, and Ooh. it was a very, very interesting conversation from what I'm seeing. Um, sorry if I cut you off, I, um, but oh no, that's fine. Um, are we going to rename this individual? I don't want to. No promo. Uh, no promo said, but notice our worth is diminished to how we make other people. Black people feel this is this is a black woman saying this, and Kyle, Chief Meta, an inspiration mm-hmm. beauty surpasses all those other forms because they copy it. There's a method to her movements, people line too, and white people's hurt feelings shuts down the racism convo. Black men's hurt feelings shuts down the toxic masculinity. Um, Misogynoir, sexism, rape culture, patriarchy combo, light skinned black people's hurt feelings shuts down the colorism combo. Where does this leave the dark skinned black girl and woman? We matter and won't be your punching bag. What the hell is she talking Inter- about? Intersectionality immediately just jumped in. And okay, the original premise was a young man giving different groups of women compliments and leaving white women out. It was a joke, it was a meme. It said black women have an inspirational beauty and then said native women are breathtaking and just generic compliments for other ethnic groups. And then for white women, there was a blank space and then everyone was supposed to hardy har har except for Terika Bleed, who decided to interject with the intersect and turn the tongue in cheek joke exalting black women and you know, other women, I'm not going to use that of color label because there is no coalition, but other women exalting them too at the expense of the dominant female. And she still dragged it into, dragged <laughs> it into some intersectional nonsense. <laughs> so then one of our beloved chiefs on the show said i have a question to ask since we're already on this type of time what advantages in life do i have over you to make you feel the way you do about black men as a whole I'm not a dark-skinned dude, but I had to defend myself physically from a few who thought it was sweet over there. That's way more dangerous than being insulted or not chosen due to personality flaws, but blaming it on skin. Most dudes who look like me prefer women of your skin tone and vice versa, but we're not going to talk about that in depth. He's trying to talk sense into her. Now, Very interesting part that she said. Black men have, pri- have privileges. One moment. 
take one from moment before we get into the alleged privileges because that's a hilarious that's a, a comedy tragic comedy list of errors the laughs you will have a laugh and a half about that but let's go back to her statement about mammies let's look up what a mammy is what is a mm-mm-mm. i'm going right now to this mammies the mammy character mammy is the most well-known and enduring racial character of african-american women real mammies from slavery through the jim crow era the mammy image served the political social and economic interests of the mainstream white america during slavery the mammy character was posited as as proof that blacks, in this case black women, were contented, even happy as slaves. Her wide grin, hearty laughter, and loyal servitude were offered as evidence of the supposed humanity of the institution of slavery. This was the Mammy caricature, and like all caricatures, it contained a little truth surrounded by a larger lie. The caricature portrayed an obese, coarse maternal figure. She had great love for her white family, but treated her own family with disdain. Let me stop right there. Although, hold up. Although she had children, sometimes many, she was completely desexualized. She belonged to the white family, though it was rarely stated. Unlike Samlo, she was a faithful worker. She had no black friends. The white family was her entire world. Hmm. And that's odd because this framework that people were working under came from someone that went to a primarily white institution and joined a white fraternal organization. It was an Ivy League school. That not only is that a primarily white institution, that's the whitest of white. That's isn't that a hotbed of white power? I believe so. So you're using that person's intellectual framework and they were educated in that type of institution and you're calling your own people or a supportive woman who asks who questions your framework a caricature from slavery a racist caricature from slavery odd very odd very odd that they'd resort to that type of slander against their own people for questioning an ideology. But please continue, Chief X. Please continue. Thank you. 
Exactly. 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 We're not ever. We're not blaming the individuals. We're merely taking screws out of the systems and frameworks in place, so one can see what's surrounding them. These apps, these mental apps that have been installed. And in another episode, I'm gonna have somebody else from the third party ops team, which is a program then that we're running for an antidote for that those apps that have been installed in these frameworks that go against the logic of life. But I'm going to show some examples from this alleged blackmail privilege checklist. And then we're going to show the responses because I have responses to each one. We're not going to go through all of them because they have 99. Some of them don't even apply to the African-American community at all. So they reached far and wide. That's what I meant. The reach game was crazy. There were just a series of reaches. A reach here, a reach there, a reach everywhere. So I'm going to open up my response to read the, the first question because, uh, man, <laughs> Woo. wow, boy, I'll tell you what, because this is a wild situation right here. All right, the first one, the black male privilege checklist, leadership and politics. I don't have to choose my race over my sex in political matters. Yes, I do. Voting extreme left benefits women a lot more due to social <laughs> program advantages, court advantages, etc. It's better than voting right on average, but net, let's not lie, lie about that. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, people were going for Hillary Clinton um, because of social programs. They were going for Obama because of social programs and optics and because he had a black wife. So I don't know. We can get deeper into that, but that's kind of wild. Okay, when I read African-American history textbooks, I will learn mainly about black men. That's patently false. In fact, most of our black history month consisted of Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, and Mary McLeod Bethune with a slight side of Dr. King to round it off. And not the whole Dr. King, not the whole Harriet Tubman, not the whole Mary McLeod Bethune, and definitely not a... Ida B. Wells. No, they didn't teach us about women like that, but our families did because 70% of our households are headed by women anyway, so I'd imagine that onus would be upon them, and the onus was upon them, and the women in my family did fairly well. So let's move on to the next privilege. When I learn about the civil rights movement and the black power movement, most of the leaders that I learn about will be black men. Once again, you see how they tried to reword the second question and change it's like a police interrogation. But uh, no, I know about Angela Davis and the Black Panther Breakfast Program was started by women as well. It was, come on, son, like, no, no, this, this doesn't work. She's a very prominent person and a great deal of the black male Black Panthers are incarcerated. Who, who's in Cuba right now? Asada Shakur? Who's Tupac's mom? Oh, yeah. Come on now. I can rely on the fact that in the near 100-year history of national civil rights organizations, ineffective, did I say that, such as the NAACP and the Urban League, 
Didn't we just talk about them? Didn't we? Virtually. Yes, these brunch Negroes, virtually all of the executive directors have been male and moist. Um, Shout-outs to my, mm-hmm. to my homie Gavardo. He's not moist at all. That's Project That's Takeover happening right there. And he's actually egalitarian and gives intersectional women a platform. And I think his predecessor was a woman because I was in a program that she started in the Urban League in Columbus, Ohio. So a black woman helped me while she was leading it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not a one-off either. Sorry. I will be taken more seriously as a political leader than black women. Um, what? In, in what circle? Because, uh, I mean, there, there is a scientific study that showed that women have a five-fold implicit bias and so do men, especially in our community. Once again, most of us are raised by women. It doesn't make any sense. We we can't just directly hate the people that raised us and most of our teachers or most of HR. We won't get a job at all. We won't be able to excel. We won't even get out of the house. Are you serious? That doesn't make any sense. Unless you get the attention and approval of black women, you will not move anywhere in life as a black man. There aren't any black male rappers with primarily black male fan bases that are successful. And that's a black male dominated art form. But you better appeal to women or you're going nowhere. That's just music. Politics. Obama, once again, if he didn't have that black wife, we would not see him. Would he have gotten as far as Kamala Harris, Kamala? Would he have gotten as far as her with the... Not at all. Kamala, he wouldn't have got anywhere. So that's that's a wrap. It's a wrap for number five. You're, you, you can't be serious. Six, despite the substantial role that black women played in the civil rights movement and black power movement, currently there is no black female that is considered a race leader. Isn't that person that we just mentioned being marketed as one? There's also one in the right wing side. And there's there's a, a Somali woman who's no. politically powerful and she's part of a trio known as the squad. Nope. Um I guess if you want to flatten our identity into everyone's black, you can include, I can name some more. AOC, you know, the thing is, with um, everything that she was espousing, not not AOC, but Terror Squad over there on off of Facebook, what was very interesting about the whole exchange is the complete um, ignoring of the factual information and sources of knowledge as well as okay they just saw a black man right exchanging with them and that right there in itself was a trigger right that, that was that's what made it very interesting to see like when you're, you're looking at it, it was very it was weird in a sense because it's kind of like okay there's just like you said before implicit bias mm-hmm. yes implicit bias and in an immediate hyper presence it's like anywhere we are that 
satisfaction has to be the control or volume and kind of curtail mm-hmm. not curtail but curate our message and make sure we're doing things the right way it's, it's really really odd oh and here's another one I can live my life without ever having read black feminist authors or knowing about black women's history or black women's issues if 70% of our households are headed by women and black women are the highest educated group in the United States. Who is that onus upon? Ah, intersectionality has become the dominant discourse method in black studies. So that's not really true. Since about 40 years ago with Black Macho and the Myth of the Superwoman written by Michelle Wallace and funded by Gloria Steinem, ex-CIA attache. We already talked about her last episode, so that's not true. (laughs) And I can be part of a Black liberation organization like the Black Panther Party, where an out rapist, Eldris Cleaver, can assume leadership position. He's not even the leader of the Black Panthers anymore, and I just named female or woman members of the Black Panthers, so that kind of contradicts the third. That's Matthew Isn't he a queen now? Yeah, he is. But, you know, you're not saying anything about Eunice Rivers' glory, and I'm not trying to reach, but there's plenty of black nursing organizations, and we're not putting her head on a platter or canceling her. You know, we're not canceling Alice Walker for being a neglectful mother, but people are still womanists, aren't they? Mm. Now, I don't know, man, it's kind of crazy, because no one's fucking with Eldridge Cleaver, and I'm not excusing that rapist shit. He was a weirdo. And he turned out to be a coon. I will make more money than black women at equal levels of education and occupation. Mm, Nah. It's only a 10 cent wage gap in factoring in our, what is it, 25% jailer prison contact plus high percentage of unemployables. I make a little bit more. Make a little bit more, but that's not that that's not something we should be arguing about if you want me to give you 10 cents i will i'll I'll give you 10 cents out of my pocket if that's what you want but that's not something we should be arguing about like we both don't make as much money as the white people put together our wealth is fucking non-existent so what are you serious that's that's what you want to split hairs on (laughs) word Yeah, okay. Oh, wait, this is a good one. Most of the national opinion framers in black America, including talk show hosts and politicians, are men. Isn't Oprah... I mean, she's way more taken seriously. She's like an ultra Steve Harvey. She's the talk show host of talk show hosts. She says, you get a car and you get a car. She has that white woman fan base. She's she's in the building. She's opening schools in South Africa where dead babies are found. Oops. So she's, that's most, and the politicians are men, but we just mentioned a Somali woman and she's in the squad and they have high prominence right now. Uh, the powerful black males are actually dying off. RIP to Conyers, Senator Conyers today. Okay. But 
Baltimore last week. Or was it a couple of days ago? So, yeah, there's I don't I don't know about that one. That's kind of wild too. Wow. So that's just ten, but it goes up to ninety. And there's I have something for each of those. Just the the, the fact that somebody formulated that and all of these reaches and it's so easy to dissect it. You know, wait, 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 one more, one more, one more, number 10, no, number 11. I have the ability to define black women's beauty by European standards in terms of skin tone, hair, and body size. In comparison, black women rarely define me by European standards of beauty in terms of skin tone, hair, or body size. Well, hmm. black women have the ability to frame black men by European beauty standards as well. My firstborn daughter is here because I have curlier hair and lighter skin than her mother. My nickname was light skin, tight skin in her family. She asked me where I got my hair from. Chicks used to always put their hands through it or whatever. This is a feature that I'm, I don't really care about. It's just hair, but they care more about it. I know girls that had babies with dudes because they had green eyes. Mm. And the Creole ethnic group is the result of miscegenation between white males and black females. Yeah, let me celebrate Beyonce as a feminist icon and talk about colorism. It's kind of crazy. And then these same people were talking about her daughter's hair because they thought that her hair was going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just let's move on from that. It's looking bad over there. It's looking real bad over there. It's really bad. Really bad just terrible mr jewel by the way and this is official jewel whatever your name is i want to have a call into the show i inbox you on facebook it's wherever we could do it any way you want my man we could do it any way you want pause we're not gonna take it over there you know what i'm talking about you calling the show we could debate in person when i come back stateside it's whatever bro and it can go wherever it can go because Cause we put this together for a reason. You was trying to get some clout. These people are spreading this propaganda. So you're doing this at the expense of your own. Thirty pieces of silver head ass boy. I got. Listen, we can speak on it. We can speak on it in person. I want to talk to you. You can have five people that represent your, your side, your argument, your framework. You can bring anybody you want. Just me. Me against y'all. Let's get it. Defeat the And that's what the sheets is all about right there. You know, we, we're all about expanding our consciousness. And when we say consciousness, it's not some uh, esoteric thing. We're legit talking about being aware and understanding all these different viewpoints and being able to, you know, we're not trying to stroke ego eagles around here, but be wrong, be wrong, you know, and sometimes if you don't know something, you don't know enough, sometimes it's okay to admit that and just step down and be like, hey, I don't know enough, but you, you know, some people speak out of turn and they do that and they got, they got to get corrected, you know, some people want to cloud chase and, you know, they got the wrong motives and whatnot, um, but the Jesus podcast, hey, we here, this is what we feel do. like we've offended you in any way and we're wrong about something, once again, you can 
Our platform is open. Speak your piece. We also have a piece to speak right after you speak yours. And if you if you correct us and know we're in that place, we'll admit it. <laughs> but it's not going to happen in this case. You know what type of time it is. That, that whole framework. And didn't Chief X, didn't she start resorting to um, Negro brute? tactics and saying he sounds like he would hurt somebody she went directly into that particular argument there i won't say argument but rather those are actually considered ad hominems Mm -hmm. attacking the person um i did see a lot of straw man in there as well but um enough poking holes into people's logic um that's too easy If I get upset about something, it's because something is incomplete within me and that hit my ego. All right, I wasn't on point with that. I didn't see that coming. Um, that, that wasn't in my arsenal. You know, I was vulnerable. But if it's somebody on, on the team, that's better than being out there and out in the field or in a real debate or in an actual situation where you need that knowledge and not having it. You know, and... and with, with situations like this where you're you're speaking to somebody like he, he brought up his situation. They didn't have a clue and didn't even know about what 
he's affiliated with in the first place. They just had a knee jerk reaction. Same same time with that that terrorist in my presence in the conversation because I'm a man. That's just period, and I'm black. Now she may have if I was a white male went in and tried to clown the same way, but there's no, you know, there's there's a method there, there's an aim there, and with people that are stuck in frameworks or people that lack knowledge about the situation, like in the other case where they're they're stuck in the framework, um, wasn't the woman affiliated with the black Hebrew Israelite? Uh, yeah, yeah. Slide through my G. 
You know the vibes. Yeah, we'll talk to us and not on the right pop- publications that you talk to because I did look up and Not the not the not clout 
nice move. So I'm going to tie that in with um, also rest in peace to Darren Seals and the four others who passed away as the result of the Ferguson situation. The real warriors. Yep, the real warriors. I believe there was a sister included with that, so it's not just brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, also brother on the case, uh, the Amber Geiger case that he got assassinated. You know, it sounds like a conspiracy to me. Right. That's, that's another thing. So we're going to get into America's war on whistleblowers and journalists since 9-11. Maybe we'll get... That'll probably be... Uh, is, that, is that the last topic? That's the last topic. Let me see if I got something else over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we might, we might, uh, we might have to save that for later. That sounds like a little bit of a long read over here. No, that's fine. That's fine. Well, if, we can, if you want to save it for later, we can. And then, um, for all the listeners out there, thank you for rocking with us. You know, you know what the vibes are, man. This is the Chiefs Podcast. Like, share, comment, all that above across all platforms, of course. Um, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that. Um, for the next show, I believe we'll be discussing, uh, I think it's time for a Brunch Niggas Part 2. All right. Brunch Niggas Part 2. And we're going to have some subtopics within there, too. Um, but be on the lookout for for another episode from us. And we're going to be coming soon. We're going to be knocking out Season 2 real real shortly. We're going to knock it out. Um, who, who are we going to have on uh, at, at a later date? You said, you said Jules. No, you mentioned Jules, but who else? Uh, who was that other King brother? Arthur. King Arthur. King, King Arthur. Arthur. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. We're going ahead and we're going to just knock it out and wrap it up right here. So we can go ahead and close out. Uh, Chief Dre, you can. You can close us out. Take us all home, all Chief Dre. Take us home. Thanks, everyone, for even rocking with us. Make sure you go check us out on all of our platforms. Make sure you follow our page on Facebook. Um, we're also on Twitter. Hey, come on the show, too. You, got, you want to have a debate? You got yeah. something to say? We are inviting all the listeners to the show. Um, make sure you're being respectable and... We out. Yep.